We all suffer. We're born, we age, we decay, we die. I know, not an overly uplifting place to start, but it's true. I don't know why it has to be this way, that's above my pay grade. But I know that we can respond to all of that with compassion. I've read, thought, talked, and written a lot about compassion. And so in this episode, I wanted to give you 10 guiding principles for living a compassionate life, drawing not least on the work of Professor Paul Gilbert and compassion-focused therapy. Calmness and composure. When working towards cultivating compassion, I like to say, always bring it back to the body. And what I mean by this is to use body-based practices to cultivate a state of calmness and composure. In Buddhist philosophy, this relates to the practice of equanimity. For the Stoics, the goal of meditation is to attain inner peace. And it's the first step in living a compassionate life. A dear friend and colleague, Dr. Deborah Lee, says a calm mind thinks differently. And really, this is the point. If we can slow down the body and slow down the mind, if we can cultivate calmness and composure, then we can start to think differently about the challenges we face, both around us and from within. And so we shift our body to a posture that's upright but relaxed. We slow down the breathing, finding a soothing rhythm. And on each out-breath, we say to ourselves in a friendly voice, body slowing down, mind slowing down. Wisdom and understanding. You're not to blame for your suffering. I know you can sometimes feel like you are, but in fact, it's not your fault. When we draw on the wisdom of the ages, from philosophy to spirituality to the scientific study of the human brain and mind, we understand that many, many aspects of human suffering arise from things truly out of our control. We're born with brains that were designed for us by evolution and not by us. And we're born with genetic or inherited strengths and weaknesses none of which we get to choose. We simply arrive with stress, anxiety, self-consciousness, shame, already built in. And then stuff just starts to happen. We're born into a family or caregiving arrangement in a certain time, place, culture, and so on. And all of this starts to shape us and who we become and often how we suffer. Bringing wisdom and understanding to this experience helps to de-blame and de-shame others and ourselves and begins the process of helping us suffer less. Strength and courage. So, we can understand something about what it is to be human and to suffer. And while that's helpful, it doesn't necessarily take the suffering away we still need to find a sense of strength and internal fortitude and determination. Calmness helps with this, and wisdom does too. And sometimes it's the very obstacles we face, the challenges that beset us, that reveal the strength we already possess. The author, 
Isabel Allende, wrote, We all have an unsuspected reserve of strength inside that emerges when life puts us to the test. If we can stand tall, our feet solidly on the ground, our posture stabilizing us, our shoulders back and our chin lifted, then we can begin to face adversity in a way that draws on our existing strength, further builds our strength, and what emerges from that is self-confidence and emotional courage. Motivation and commitment. Compassion is a motivation in two ways. It's a motivation to engage with suffering and a motivation to take action to alleviate and prevent suffering. And so at the heart of a compassionate life is a motivation and commitment to be in the world with purpose and intent. In a practical sense, it may mean identifying moments of the day where you set a compassionate intention. Perhaps it's just before you get out of bed or while you brush your teeth, or just before you walk out the front door. Or perhaps you set an intention at other times across the day. And it might sound something like this. Today I will practice compassion. I will bring awareness to the suffering of others and myself, and I will try to be helpful and supportive. Awareness and sensitivity. It takes an enormous amount of wherewithal to engage with suffering. First, somehow we have to notice the suffering is there. And this requires awareness of the here and now, the present moment. What can I notice around me and the experience of others around me? What can I notice within me and my own experience? In this way, mindfulness is a pathway to compassion. Second, we bring to that moment of awareness a skillful sensitivity. For example, is this person suffering? It's an important question. And so skills of empathy, really resonating with and understanding the feelings and experiences of the other, and sympathy, opening ourselves up to being moved or touched by their suffering, are very important and well worth practicing. And sensitivity, empathy and sympathy towards one's own feelings and experiences are super important and well worth practicing too. Tolerance and coping. Compassion is being sensitive to suffering and that's hard and can be distressing. I'm sure you can easily think of some sort of footage on the news of people suffering from war, disease, poverty, children who are suffering in these ways. You might even feel personal distress at the footage and much prefer to look away, change channels and try not to think too much about it. Perfectly reasonable. So living a compassionate life means developing your ability to tolerate distress, maintaining where you can your own physical and mental health and well-being balancing your compassionate life with enjoyable happy times, involvement and contribution, exercise and physical activity, and relationship and connection. Finding healthy ways to self-soothe, relax, feel safe, comfortable and peaceful. Perhaps it's meditation, especially loving-kindness meditation, that might help with distress tolerance. And acceptance can be key. 
Sometimes, while compassion involves a motivation to alleviate or prevent suffering, it's not always possible to do. You may not like that. You may even continue to try to achieve it. And you can also let go of the struggle. Accept this, find peace with it, and keep going. Caring and helpfulness. Professor Paul Gilbert sometimes puts compassion like this. May I be helpful rather than harmful to myself and others. In some ways, that's it. May I be helpful. Compassion comes from a fundamental care for well-being and a wish to be caring, kind, supportive, encouraging and helpful and a wish to alleviate and prevent suffering. Sometimes this leaves us with a question. What is it that this person I wish to help, or perhaps even myself, needs right now? What is it that would be helpful? As you can imagine, we return to calmness, wisdom and strength, and we make a genuine, considered attempt to be helpful. And if at first we don't succeed, we try again. Giving help. Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh has said, compassion is a verb. It's not a feeling or a thought or something tokenistic. Compassion is action, doing something to help. And the first flow of compassion is giving care, support, help to others. This is often the flow people think of when they think of compassion. And it's very important. In a way, this is how our species survived over millions of years and countless threats. We looked after each other. So how might we do it? Help a friend. Let someone merge in front of you in traffic. Give to a charity. Do a day of volunteering. The list is endless. We just need to look for opportunities to give help and take those opportunities. Receiving help. People can have formidable fears about asking for help. It's scary. What if people think I'm weak and pathetic? We can feel embarrassed or ashamed and simply close off to help from others. But there's a lot of evidence now that this second flow of compassion, being open to receiving compassion from others, has a powerful positive effect on reducing our suffering, improving social connection, and improving psychological well-being. Barack Obama wrote, Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask for help when you need it. I do that every day. Asking for help isn't a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength. It shows you have the courage to admit when you don't know something and then allows you to learn something new. But it's scary. So start small with someone you trust revealing just a little bit and building up from there. Receiving help can alleviate and prevent suffering. And it can help us learn, grow and flourish. Give it a try. Helping yourself. What do I also really need right now? This is a key question to support living a compassionate life. I remember first being exposed to the concept of self-compassion many years ago and felt worried about it. Shouldn't I focus on being compassionate to others? Do I deserve self-compassion? Dr. Chris Germer said to me at the time, 
Your compassion is for human beings and other living beings, the whole world. You're a human being too. And self-compassion is simply widening your circle of compassion to also include yourself. We need these three flows of compassion to be in balance. We're compassionate to others. We open ourselves up to others being compassionate towards us. And we're compassionate towards ourselves. And often, this means being compassionate to those parts of ourselves we don't like, or perhaps those parts of ourselves that we loathe. A big part of self-compassion is self-acceptance, reducing unworthiness, reducing shame, and arriving at a place where you know you're enough, and you know you can really start looking after your own health and well-being. Maya Angelou said, you alone are enough. You have nothing to prove to anybody. Perhaps we can end on these wise words of self-compassion.